Hello and welcome to the San Clemente podcast. I'm Grace Shackleton. I'm your host. I edit the magazine. You can read more about this interview in the magazine and also all upcoming stuff for the London Literature Festival, which is very exciting. Today, I spoke to Nick Murray, who's a games designer. He's also doing his MA at UCL, where I do my MA, so it's very exciting. And he's working on, well, he's already done it. It's the Poetry Games exhibition, which will be at the National Poetry Library. Even if you don't like poetry and gaming, go, have a look around, enjoy it. It's interactive. That's what we need these days. It's an experience. As they say, it was a hoot. I really enjoyed it. So I hope you enjoy it too. Hello. Hello. It's very nice to talk to you. And to you. So explain what the Poetry Games are to me. So the exhibition itself is called Poetry Games. But way before that, it's a kind of intersection between kind of creative writing and interactive media, basically. So anything from a kind of point and click adventure that has kind of poetic elements to uh, kind of having a bunch of cut out cards on the table with words that you could kind of interchange to see how how you want basically like bringing that interactivity into poetry so how many are there because I know it's like a bit of a trail right hmm uh in the exhibition itself do you mean yeah oh well is there more to it are there ones online as well yes so it's a real niche like it's already kind of on one hand contemporary experimental poetry which is pretty niche and then on the other hand weird indie games which are very niche and then putting that together to find that real small bit of the Venn diagram which is really niche sometimes though the niches are where people get the most interested yeah I I feel like TikTok's that prime era of like watching stuff that you would never normally care about, but because yeah. it's so niche, you're like, oh, tell me more about yeah. specific Japanese pottery. God, I've been reading, like, there are so many articles now about, like, the the TikTok algorithm, like, how it works, and, like, no one really knows because it's proprietary, but everyone's trying to work out, like, why did I see this thing? And, like, I, I swear I've listened to maybe four podcasts in the last six months just about that. Like, someone will say, oh, I saw this one weird niche TikTok about like not being able to hear on planes or something and then like just going down a weird rabbit hole about and then you think that's life you think that that everyone else is like absolutely watching those things you talk to them about it you're like oh is it just just me learning about the sound (laughs) of stuff on planes okay I'm following a cult leader for a bit and then I unfollowed her because she got really weird but now there's like a Huli documentary or something and I was like who is it so sadly this is another one of those things I find myself reading a lot about like very influential people who maybe just go off the deep end a little bit and bring a lot of people with them it was very like new age stuff and then it increasingly weird but yeah yeah, (laughs) niche is in (laughs) niche is in yeah two niche is not ideal um no 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 yeah uh, though I, th- I guess they call that narrow casting. Like <laughs> you're just do- doing a thing to like your three mates, and you know there's yes. there's, there's there's value in that too. I think. But, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, kind of bring it into into this. There is a like the reason I mentioned this this niche in the middle is that actually kind of poetry games and interactive poetry have been going on for a fair while. Just it doesn't really kind of fall outside of its own sphere or its own kind of circle like a lot of it is made either under kind of academic guise and so it's poetry for other poets who are researching this stuff 
or it's made in a very kind of closed loop almost in that kind of narrow casting way like you do something a bit weird and fun and you show your friends and that's kind of it like there hasn't been yeah, a but that's kind of the history of poetry at fully, least like the poetry fully. I do a lot of the Latin poetry and right. it is very much mm. there's a professor at UCL who like she basically changed the game in the 20th century and oh, cool. I, I get to have lectures with her it's very exciting that's but awesome. she she's that's called Maria awesome. White and she does basically looked at how their love poetry was actually just them making jokes to each other right like it wasn't it wasn't for the women it was yeah. for them so she then like uncoded all their oh, cool. inside jokes basically uh, a friend of mine studying um classic classical literature over at king's and has been doing his whole phd is around thomas Coriat, who basically did the same thing just wrote poems and he wrote a lot of kind of travel literature but it was all just really weird niche in-jokes that he just had with his friends. But like reams and reams of it, books and books and books that he was just, he just, it was basically like memes, just writing these things yeah. that him and his friends knew already and would find a, like have a chuckle reading them. Like it's, yeah, this stuff has been going on for hundreds of years. <laughs> That's fascinating. And now it's in the gaming. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think that in the last, I want to say 10 years max, We've we've had this real uh, kind of boom of engines and software that makes it easy to make games now. Like you can you can go online, not download any software whatsoever, go in and create a fully like uh, fleshed out two D game in half an hour. Uh, and like actually, I've got a couple of pieces in the exhibition using something quite like this. It's called Bitsy. Um, and it is exactly that an engine you go in you just draw little pixel characters and they will start moving around you put words and text and sounds and you can you can make a game in half an hour and it means that in the same way that we had like zine culture or still have zine culture um, where people you know hijack the photocopier at uni or in the library or something and make their their niche zine about being a paramedic or finding out that they're gay or, you know, anything that, you know, is, it means something to you, but you don't have a book. You're not going to get a kind of publishing deal. So you just make it and spread it around. You like share it at zine fairs and stuff. And that's kind of where games are now, it feels. So you can make your, your niche game about your particular interest and you can make it in half an hour and then share it to a friend on Discord or via email or, or Twitter or, you know, go real lo-fi, put it on like a thumb drive and physically give it to someone and they can, you know, experience something that you've experienced because doing it in an interactive way or an immersive way, you can touch it, you can kind of tap into emotions that you may not have been able to in other kind of formats. Like this is something that I'm really keen on championing with kind of poetry games that you can write a book you can write a, you can write a story and you can elicit certain feelings like you can make people feel sad but it's very hard to tap into like a specific group of feelings like victory or guilt or regret because without the person actually having to make that choice everything's kind of secondhand like you can feel for a person who's made a bad choice in a book but if you are given two choices on a screen or on a in like a choose your own adventure book or or you know, on a board game and you make the wrong one, you suddenly go, ah, bollocks. And it's very hard to do that in in a non in like a linear or non-interactive medium. Uh so suddenly you can if you're if you're feeling bereft about something that happened in in a particular space, you can now make that into a game and share it with someone to try and give them almost you know like a an inkling of what that was like 
I think it's That's powerful so stuff. Interesting. I've read this thing ages ago that was people who have who have just been through a traumatic event, like a big, you know, and then the rescue teams turn up or whatever. Mm. They started giving them Tetris to play, and they found oh, wow. that the gaming because your brain needs to like do something in Focus response something, to big yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. So they can make sense of it better through the right. gaming format. That oh, wow. kind of made me think of that a bit. Like you're getting to understand your emotions, but in a maybe a logical format yeah. almost. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think I think there's and I'm I'm not absolutely not an academic on this kind of thing, but people there's a train of thought that puts it down to either deep attention or hyper attention uh deep attention being the kind of thing that you do when you read a book like you're focusing on one thing that needs one particular set of like cognitive skills and then hyper attention which is a lot of gaming where you're actually doing quite a lot of different small things like moving jumping reading some text all at the same time and if you can cross over those two things like in this idea of, of tetris and kind of trying to be present in in this traumatic situation i imagine there's something there in rewiring the brain almost again that's yeah. real pop psych i could not I know. Well, as soon as i said it i was like i don't even know if i'm qualified to share that information like, <laughs> well that could be entirely wrong it could be the opposite it could be tetris causes trauma i don't know but <laughs> we're immediately gonna get called out <laughs> yeah gonna my god we're gonna get cancelled for recommending tetris <laughs> tetris cult springs up in yeah Israel. that's yeah. my thing now that's my twist nine tiktok niches uh. <laughs> oh god um, no, sorry i probably went off on a real tangent then again no i think i went off on the tangent i was okay, like yeah on. so tetris um, <laughs> <laughs> but i definitely got that from your website like it did the like the tamagotchi seance oh, i did the tarot amazing. one and that cool. is bleak like you oh, start yeah, it and really you're like bleak. this is bleak and then i was doing it and i was like oh no <laughs> it's going horribly <laughs> it's like oh, santa cafe like wow oh wow no this is not what i intended but i guess that's the point yeah yeah i think that's, <laughs> you didn't that's a real sell me anything thing. else but yeah. it very much says at the beginning this is going to be bleak yeah but then someone come up and say i saw this was bleak and then oh no <laughs> yeah <laughs> like it was indeed bleak like yeah. tamagotchi say it was very like it was kind of wholesome. Mm, like you yeah. did feel that responsibility that you felt for your Tamagotchi, where I was like, I don't want to mess up the seance as well. Like I already <laughs> killed it. I don't, don't want to then be like, oh, what's it like? And then it leaves. Yeah, it's right. Offend. I don't want to offend the dead Tamagotchi. <laughs> yeah, like I, I, def- I tried to make it to not have like a good or bad ending or anything like that. Like it is just a kind of conversation, just a way of um, thinking about something that we had once. The Poetry Games exhibition has, has gone slightly away from that. But the the way I, I kind of got into a lot of this was by making games about kind of memory and loss, especially around like the age of the internet. Like it's very hard to forget things now or for things to be forgotten. And so started trying to make games to play with that. Like what's grief like in a space where things can't be lost? As a millennial, I've had a lot of Tamagotchis and it's become like a, a real part of my uh kind of thinking about like the world like they feel like it's it's a really neat microcosm for a lot of other stuff (laughs) like it's it's living for all intents and purposes uh and you have to look after it and then one day it dies there are no other games where like as as kids we didn't really have games where things died like if they did they would come back but a tamagotchi kind of doesn't and that's huge especially when you're a kid like it was so like because you had to plan it was like having a child as mm-hmm. a child you had it to plan is. the break around it you had to be like oh my god if I you know if I messed up the feeding of this Tamagotchi by 
I break, it's dead. And yeah, that's on gone. me. And yeah, exactly. I probably saved a lot of fish. <laughs> You're like, we didn't need to learn that way around. Right, right. Yeah, it's, a, it's an emotional journey. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I wonder often about, like, the pipeline from, like, Tamagotchis to Tumblr to, like, whatever job we all have now. Like, <laughs> how that's how that's gone. It's the like, journey what, there. Yeah, yeah. Well, someone will do a, a write-up on this in 20 years, I'm sure. And we'll all be like, oh, they're oh, probably yeah, doing it now. Yeah. They're probably doing it now, then they change it the next week. Yeah, exactly. Like, they'll be like, it made us better people. And then the next week, <laughs> they'll be like, it made us less empathetic. It made us so much worse, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't look off my plants better than the Tamagotchis. That sure. probably says a lot. Like, like, <laughs> I understood the consequences of the Tamagotchi and still. Yeah, and maybe still... I should make one about talking to your plants next. Maybe yeah, that'll be it. It'll be like a dumb ways to die it'll be like a service right. to, to humanity like, <laughs> everyone will be like oh god I've learned so much yeah right <laughs> saying that I don't think I've ever written a game with the idea I'm going to teach people things that's never no, quite well, been the goal but I guess I that's guess hard it, with art that's hard yeah. like you know it can make it worse if yeah, you start totally. out being like I'm going to teach someone something yeah it's a risky game it is yeah Especially, yeah, I think the kind of person who sets out saying, I'm going to teach some people some things, maybe needs to have a look at themselves also first as to whether they're qualified to do that. Yeah, but, definitely. Yeah. But we can tell we can tell people how it feels when they're Tamagotchi guys. Or help, help them remember. Help them remember. That's yeah. what a lovely thing to remind people of. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember when you killed your Tamagotchi yeah. repeatedly? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, kind in, of... in essence, it kind of comes back for like 10 minutes. And that's really, or like, it's not even a 10 minute yeah. game. It's like a two minute game. Like it comes back for two minutes. And maybe that's mm-hmm. nice too. It like... felt like a good for her kind of ending. Where like right. the Tamagotchi leaves. And yeah. I was a bit like, good for you. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like. You should have left me. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, but you're better off. Oh, no. When we're talking about, like, early gaming, what got mm. you into making games? What got me into making games? Uh, great question, Grace. Great question. Yeah. Um, so I'm... I wasn't originally a kind of gamer, as it were. Mm. Like, I, I come from a kind of music and performance background, first off. But quickly like I don't know got into this space where I wanted to be able to give people performances that I didn't have to be there for like I I, as as a person who like really enjoys and kind of make making performative art like I don't often enjoy performing so to find a way of giving people almost a set of instructions wherein they can kind of do the performance themselves like that's kind of how I started making these kind of interactive things and it started with just like text-based you're in a space, go left, go right, that kind of thing, just as a way of kind of testing out what that what that could be and what that could mean. Um, and that slowly grew into just trying a lot of other kind of spaces like Bitsy, as I was mentioning, or um, Construct, all these kind of indie platforms where you can kind of make very different things in very different ways and like the outcome is very different and kind of makes it feel different to play with them. That's like kind of what you're talking about with your MA. Mm. on what what's the title of it oh sure so I'm doing a situated uh I'm doing situated practice uh which is kind of unofficially pegged as architecture for not architects um and I went in because there's a kind of phenomenal writer and academic called Jane Rendell who basically founded and created the the project uh, created the course 
<clears throat> and going into it, I really wanted to be able to look at communal and community spaces and what public art means, uh, because I think a lot of artists, performers, makers take it for granted that bringing an audience into a space is not necessarily a gift. You you are gained, like it's transactional for a start. You are performing a thing and you're going to get a response, whether that's applause or feedback or, you know, whatever. And beyond that, there's the idea that it could almost be an imposition, like asking a person to come and spend their time when they could be relaxing, being on Twitter, uh, you know, having a nap and coming to see your, you know, one person play about Joan of Arc or whatever. I don't know where that came from. That That's like a great a good pitch. Show. That's going to be a thing. <laughs> yeah. That'd yeah. be the fringe next year. <laughs> I, oh God, it, I'm sure it's in the fringe every year. Um, not to <laughs> say it's not good. Is. Not to say it's not good. Like there's a reason why the classics stick. Um, <laughs> yeah, to to kind of finish off. Yeah, like bringing people in to see something that you've made is kind of, it's a beautiful thing, but it, it works on both both sides that, you know, we have a finite amount of time and, bringing people to see something means that you have to remember that they could be doing something else and so yeah that's why I started this in a roundabout way that's why I started doing this MA to really kind of look at what it what it means to inhabit space with other people and what it means to make something in that space that you know maybe they could be making too you can kind of bring people together and make something together like I love collaborative art first and foremost um and yeah kind of we'll, we'll see where this ends up like I'm doing it part-time so I've still got another year or so to go um but yeah we'll see we'll see where it ends up that's I mean such an interesting premise in the age of the internet Mm, because we are in that sort of mid point where people create something Mm. but it can still become an imposition because it's very like you know all the calls to action you know read this thing subscribe like all of that stuff exactly god Mm. there's so much information at the moment like everything is so much information I was talking to a friend of mine who was uh he was saying how he was talking to his mum about like a piece of news and how she just hadn't heard about it because she's just doesn't have social media doesn't uh, like reads the news at very specific points in the day or the week or whatever and thinking about that just as an idea of like not knowing something that's happening is on one hand really kind of almost baffling and on the other hand you're like god I want that <laughs> I really Is want she... that I stopped reading the news a while ago, which was yeah. like, it was a COVID thing. Cause you know, you kept looking at it and you were like, this is too bad. The doom was scroll, like, oh. yeah. Yeah, yeah, doom scrolling. So I was like, I'll give it a break. And then I started only getting my news from like other people telling yeah. me stuff. Right. And it was sort of weirdly disempowering because right. you're, you know, something really big happens and you're like, I had no idea. <laughs> Wait, what is that? Who are they? And everyone's right. like, what you, how do you not know this? And so right. back, I mean, now you have to be with all the sure. political yeah. landscape. You need to vaguely. Yeah. Well, I, I think that the, a great example of this is the fact that the Queen just died. Oh, like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not a particularly, uh, like, I'm, I'm certainly not a monarchist or anything like this. But I found it so interesting that moment, like where everyone was and what we were doing, and like how everyone responded. Like knowing that all of the kind of institutions that we have, like the Beeb and whatever, have they've had all this stuff written for decades. 
like they yeah. literally had all of these like obituaries written and they're just ready to push the button like someone is on retainer to update these things every year because they know that it's yeah. happening it's coming and then it they did must, they must have done it like daily though because some of yeah. it was such recent yeah stuff that you there like... is someone whose job that is to do it, yeah. do it daily yeah um yeah i found it i found it fascinating to like be there because it's it's kind of tying it into some of this other stuff like that was a communal moment that we all had to be in like you didn't have a choice every single like person in in the country had to be part of this communal moment of the queen dying yeah um which again someone's writing a thesis on this right now i'm sure but like yeah i I don't really know where i kind of sit on it like it was it's a very unique emotion i'd love to like toy with through a game probably or something but um on the day it happened like when we found out i turned on the radio and just recorded like 20 minutes of radio just skipping through different channels just to see what everyone was doing or seeing what kind of because there's there's like music that can and can't be played during like times of mourning and I found that super fascinating and like just wanted mm-hmm. to have this as a record like 10 years later think oh how did that feel in that moment and maybe the closest way I could do that was by recording literally what was going on on basically every radio station in like a 20 minute bracket and then yeah it was bizarre it was so bizarre because like it was one of those moments where no one quite knew how to react no exactly it's like such a weird crossover point for the nation yeah where it was weird like it's weird to me that the radios stopped playing yeah. certain songs right and we're like that's baffling but also if they didn't they would face like fully fully yeah it was just yeah. it was complicated i watched the procession drive past but then I didn't post on social media because I was like oh I don't want people to think that I like (laughs) care too much right right (laughs) right. yeah so yeah I I mean that's the like difficulty with tradition in a world that's really globalized and like not many of us really subscribe to that kind of tradition anymore so to live in a country that is shaped by that tradition you kind of do still have to play these games like you're saying of like not tweeting a thing or like not posting it because of what that would look like under this guise of tradition it's yeah yeah but then the people who put up pictures of the queen I didn't immediately think oh terrible people I just thought okay they're processing it that's how they're processing it exactly yeah yeah you hit it exactly on the head like there were so many like really good like astute like posts on twitter and stuff of people saying everyone's grieving in a different way like whether whether they're grieving for the death of a monarch or not they're grieving something and they're going to process it in a particular way like the queen dying is a is a symbol for you know loads of other stuff that's happening um nuance (laughs) nuance (laughs) yeah definitely (laughs) nuance i think you're right it's going to be a period of time we look back on and we're like Mm. what was that for like two weeks for sure it's definitely not something that can fit in 140 characters no, definitely not. Right. Wait, 280. It's 280 now, isn't it? 280. Wow. So, so many words. <laughs> <laughs> so much you can say. It's a novel now. God. Yeah. God, that's that's all the nuance you need. 280 exactly, words. Exactly. Yeah. Sorted. <laughs> we fixed the internet, Grace. We did it. Yeah, You're we did it. And they've got three minutes on a TikTok video now. So that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. That was, but that was the crazy thing is so much of the TikTok content I was getting was from Americans, not Brits. Really? So that was another thing of like yeah. Americans talking about British yeah. politics. It's fascinating. Yeah, exactly. I was I found it fascinating the the 
American response, like like the, the American social media response, the Australian social media response, and the Irish social media response to the Queen dying were all really, really, really different. Um, and it just, you know, it's, it's responses to like colonialism and, and uh, kind of years of, you know, national trauma and stuff like this. But to, to see, because I, I think that that's also like a kind of nationwide grieving, doing something like that, like each individual post comes together to be the nation's perception of grief. What do you find that when you work with people on collaborative projects in gaming, that it changes the style of your work completely or that you find a new way of working? Yeah, definitely. I think that's that's the singular reason why I love collaboration more than kind of solo endeavours. You will always find something that's unexpected or something that you couldn't have kind of predicted through the methods you, you would have taken otherwise. Like anyone you work with, even if they're making like the same kind of game or the same kind of like text or whatever has come to that from a different way of thinking. And so just by, you know, chatting with another person for like, you know, an hour, suddenly you have an entirely different outlook and you're going to make something entirely different. Like I don't, yeah, I don't think that anything I've made on my own is like anywhere half as interesting as the work that I've made with other people. Also, it's more beneficial for me. Like I, I, I enjoy it more. And mm-hmm. like, I feel like I want to be able to enjoy my own work. So it kind of yeah. takes a bit of the, the pressure off you. Like you're not too self-aware at the same time. Yeah. 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 When you, what do you imagine as your audience when you're working? Would you try and not think of an audience at all? Um, that's a really, really good question. Let me think. <laughs> do I consider an audience when I'm making stuff? I think that my primary audience in my head when making things is probably my friends. There was a time when I was making like quite a lot of very, very small games just to test like a singular idea. And it meant that I knew that it would be seen by maybe seven people and that's it. Um, as opposed to things like kind of Tamagotchi Seance, which was constructed over like a longer period. And then I felt like it was finished and would kind of shop it to galleries or like publications and things like this. And But the, yeah, so the, the defining thought about audience is those smaller weirder games that I would just show to people and be like do you think this works like what is it doing like is it is it is this a thing like I would I would hand them a box and say is this a thing those those are people who are patient and generous enough with their time to try a weird thing and then if if it goes from that from that point then I might iterate again and then think about another audience like a, a general kind of reading audience or general kind of game playing audience like at that stage then I do have to think like oh what is this game doing and who's going to enjoy it like I guess in with with any kind of art if you're making something in a particular style whether it's you know like YA fiction or Tetris for example like a kind of block-based game those have readerships like very specific readerships those two examples you know they might cross over but there are people who like Tetris and don't like Final Fantasy or you know some other kind of game and so like once once you're doing that once you're making something in a particular mode then the audience kind of has to take precedent yeah you've got yeah. to sort of know who you're working towards yeah exactly yeah and I think that that's something that's has slightly different connotations with gaming as well in that you've got your kind of narrative or kind of story-based con- con- content within it but then also the interaction as well and those again can like butt up against readers in in quite different ways like you could have a game that 
you know like has two button inputs and so like a lot of people find it nice to play on like the train because it's it's really low effort and kind of low interaction but then might have a really harrowing storyline that really you don't want at that time like you're trying to play on your commute you want something you want wordle you just want wordle you don't want the last of us you don't want the last of us mm-hmm. yeah i mean it would ruin a brilliant brilliant example of like you can't play that and have or like even like with a commute you can't have other things happening you can't be like listening out to hear if you're at waterloo yet when your the heart is literally pounding because you're running away from like creatures that want to eat you yeah so yeah it's it's the wider version of your mom coming in today dinner's ready because yeah right exactly <laughs> yeah. Yeah. not right now exactly exactly uh that's a really uh specific pool also are you do you play games you know, I'm a backseat driver. My okay. cousin is a games designer and right. did, I'll, I'll plug it now. He did a game called Benito Days, which is right. a, it's a switch game, but knowing him, there'll be other options. Right. And so we always gamed growing up, but right. it was all boys. And then, I don't know, from an inner thing, I was like, I'd mm-hmm. rather watch you guys fail than tell <laughs> you how fair. to do it right. That's so I know fair. a lot about, about watching gaming, right. but I wouldn't, you if you ask me to play a game, I would die. Card <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. is not my thing, but Fine. I've watched a lot of it. Right, that's cool. It's like a cinematic experience. Yeah, uh, and I think that like we we now live in a time when that like very like constructed gender kind of bias is being kind of shifted again. Like it was, I mean, it was ridiculous in the first place. We were like, oh, this is a, this is a kind of game for a boy. Like, what does that even mean? Like. What who's a who's a boy? <laughs> what is that? What even is that? We won't. Let's not yeah. get into gender yeah, yeah. Oh, constructs and politics. That was the now. last That's interview a... I did. That oh, was, I which will probably one. come up oh, after this. But yeah, <laughs> gender's a construct. It was a whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> I was in so... it in my head the whole time. <laughs> anyway, yeah. But then, yeah, like this, these things were basically like marketing tactics. Like even beyond like the politicized use of gender for other things, like it basically just became a really easy way to market things to parents off children. And now suddenly we're like that's stupid here's a flood of games that do this kind of thing we're not saying they're for any particular person they just do this thing and if you're interested in that thing you might like this game like what's like a brilliant example of a game is like overcooked which like there's been a couple of iterations i think it came out like a few years back where you just cook you cook with your friends and it gets into it gets kind of more and more stressful as you have to cook more and more things but like there is no way that that could be like marketed to a particular person outside of being like, do you like playing games with your friends and the idea of cooking? Like it has no like gender bias or like, it doesn't even have the bias of, oh, have you played games before you're like this? Like it's a really yeah, neat Yeah, it's definitely, that's the kind of game I like. I find, I get to in my head with, yeah. like with the Tamagotchi, even if you ask me to kill like a Nazi zombie in COD, I'm still like, they had a family. <laughs> like, wow. Wow. It's a nightmare. Oh, that's brilliant. Really... No, that's my quote of the day. This Nazi zombie had a family. <laughs> he did. He had a just family. Got this image now of like a Nazi yeah. zombie going home and like in a partner just <laughs> patting them on the back. Being like, 
don't worry T- tomorrow's gonna be better <laughs> yeah it'll be it'll get better don't worry you lost your arm today but you'll be fine no I get way too in my head week. about it and then like did they even want to sign up like right come on like were they forced into it like, where's the zombie union what's going yeah, on where's the uni where's the rights for these zombies <laughs> right like do I have to kill them like yeah. Shaun of the Dead ending that would be right. ideal for me <laughs> can I round you up and then just yeah we'll have a nice time and yeah <laughs> God, yeah. And I, I think that that, again, is is one of those things that's just being, like, now that we are in a place where games are mainstream enough that they're thought about enough, we think about those kind of things, too. Like, you know, I think gaming as a kind of mainstream concept has only really been around for, like, I want to say 70 years, which is a real baby steps in terms of a medium or an art form. Like, any other art form is hundreds, if not thousands of years in the making and so only now we've got to a point where we can think about things like, did this Nazi zombie have a family? I love yeah. this example now. I'm going yeah, to use this for everything now. You're, you're a genius. <laughs> it uh, honestly, yeah. yeah, plays on my mind too much. Yeah. But like, we, I guess we, it, Yeah, keep going, sorry. Well, it ties up with the audience participation, doesn't it? Mm. You, you start to think, what, yeah. what is this doing to me? Yeah, right. If that makes sense. Which yeah, what's the I wider world around all of this? That. Yeah, I mean, you have to overthink these things now. Like, that's I don't, and in fact, I don't think it's overthinking. I think that's just what thinking is now. Like, it thinking used to is now overthinking. Yeah, 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 fully. Like, we used to have games like, uh, all right, this is a real showing my whole age. Like Streets of Rage, like a side-scrolling beat 'em up. Like, you are a named character with no real backstory. And you're just walking sides along a street and fighting people. They're coming at you. It's like very 80s exploitation back alley in New York. Um, which, interestingly, I found out these alleys don't actually physically exist in New York. It's a construct as well. But that's the side. That's a that's tangent wild. as well. Um, yeah. Like just New York just doesn't have alleys like that. Um, that's where in my fire. What's the point? <laughs> what's the point? What's the point in <laughs> New York? Uh, <laughs> Like, that America, what's the point what's the um, point you've got no back alleys like <laughs> where am I meant to have my 80s style brawls come on right yeah and and in that all of these characters were nameless basically faceless because it's like six pixels and you're just mowing people down left right and center and now you've got games like to, to go back to like the last of us every character in the last of us and to be fair like it's a bit ham-fisted the way they do it but every character has a backstory if even if it's them just saying oh where's dave gone because their friend is called dave and you just killed dave and like it, it you don't quite have that same oh i'm just gonna go through this and like blitz through this and like destroy everything because you you at every moment you're you're confronted with the idea of like that person probably did have a family and like we're all just trying to get by I do, again, caveat that it was really ham-fisted in The Last of Us. Like, there was no reason why they needed to give me a 20-minute section with a dog. 20 minutes later than that, make me kill the dog. And we were like, yeah, you hated that, didn't you? And I'm like, yeah, obviously I did, but you didn't give me a choice. So that sucks. I mean, that's unnecessary guilt. Yeah, fully unnecessary guilt. Like, they could have done it in any other way. So this is such a gripe. This is just like a personal gripe. No, of mine, but it's, but decided it's, in, to share it's important, right? Like they put you in a position where yeah. you have to do something you didn't want to do. Yeah. Because the game people made you. Yeah. And yeah. like people love like The Last of Us 2 so much as a like a cinematic masterpiece. And I think that that maybe is to its detriment. 
like cinema is amazing like cinematic works of art are incredible like we, we have like the BAFTAs to celebrate this kind of stuff we know that we know that film is art and we know that it has value in particular ways and like the last of us is desperately trying to be a film but every so often makes you press a button to keep going and it means that like I don't ever get a choice I just have it's like a chore that you just have to keep pressing a button to keep going to find out what happens um I want to mention at this moment that a game that recently came out like for any of your listeners who are gamers uh play this game now it's called Immortality and at no point does it does it tell you that it's not a film like it's the, the whole premise is that you're given the film reels for three films that never got finished or never got released and you have to skim back and forth in each of these kind of sets of of clips to find out what happened to the the protagonist or the the, the lead actress who's disappeared and like it, it's on steam like it's you play it with a controller but it's the greatest film I've seen in a very long time. And I think that it's doing everything that The Last of Us 2 wanted to do, but so much more successfully and without any of that feeling of forced guilt for no reason. That, yeah, because I think there's a lot of tension in the industry at the moment. At least that's what my cousin found. He worked at, I don't know if I can say, I know he worked at a big <laughs> right. gaming company that does big stories for a big media company. Right. And I think it gets so tedious when you're creating that as well, because mm. you're kind of like, do I care? Yeah. And I, I guess there's there's a difference in just using those those same two examples of like Last of Us and, and Immortality that one is, for all intents and purposes, an indie game. And the other one was made by at any moment, 500 people who all need to, because of the way that the industry is kind of made up at the moment, like have to make content. They have to make something that is going to sell a certain amount of units and you know be be kind of played a set by a certain by a, in a certain amount of time and it's 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 a shame to see that because of that things like the last of us which is basically kind of just doing the same thing as the last five or so kind of naughty dog games and uh, they kind of just churn it out because they know that if they just do it a little bit bigger but the same they'll get those those clicks or they'll get that 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 kind of buy-in by a certain amount of people whereas immortality made by I don't know what the, the team behind it is, but I know that it's like orders of magnitude smaller are just making something a bit weird <laughs> and yeah. they can. And like, I, I, not to say, not to kind of put it down. It, it's it's obviously more than a labor of love. There's so much that went into it, but they did something really, really odd and took just took a punt. And I don't know if they expect it to make that much back or to make much at all, but it meant that it did something it made me feel things that The Last of Us never could. Yeah. Did you watch um, Free Guy? No, I didn't. I haven't seen it, but uh, I'm aware true. of it. Yeah. I thought I I thought it would be kind of. Yeah. I was like, yeah, oh, yeah. I was it I Ryan Reynolds. Just, yeah. yeah. Actually, I have a lot of time like, for Ryan Reynolds though. To, I'm, yeah, so I watched that. his Letterman talking about it, and I was like, okay, I'll I'll watch it, and it's really good at talking about what where to go with gaming. Right after these kind of like GTA type games yeah. or like these big narratives like what yeah. do people actually want and maybe it's just something calmer and a bit yeah more relaxed it's, it's God, that's, it, that's I will watch it then actually yeah that's a good yeah yeah thanks for putting it back on my list it won't I mean it's not like the most profound thing ever but it's very interesting it's yeah. on, on violence in general right I was interesting surprised yeah yeah 
but but actually on, on your point of people wanting something slightly different in things like GTA, there is a really amazing um, genre or kind of group of people. I don't I don't know what the best way to kind of describe it as, but people who are using these games like open world online games to do whatever else, whatever they want, like subverting the game and making their own rules and making their own stories in it. Like um, an example that like I just loved recently was a guy who he's actually made a film about this now, a guy who went around GTA online asking people if he could uh, recite soliloquies from Hamlet and just seeing what would happen. Yeah. And most of the time he'd kind of get like moaned down, like because the game is centered (laughs) around violence, like that your, your main uh, mode of interacting with the world is with a gun. And so that's how people basically tackled. I think if you tell someone you're going to recite Hamlet, (laughs) they'll hit you with a car. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I think, like you, you joke, but I actually think that that's exactly right. People would have the same response, but the response looks different in GTA because it can look a lot bigger. Like it's the same yeah. response, but has an explosion behind it. Um, but like over the course of this this document documentation of, of what he's doing, eventually he found someone who was really into it. And this other person playing had no microphone or anything, but through the in-game gestures so again just beautifully subverting the things that you can do in the game coaxed this guy onto the back of a like atv atv all-terrain vehicle yeah uh quad bike and thanks for clarifying i didn't know (laughs) i wasn't sure if i was saying the right thing i didn't even know um but drove him up to the top of a mountain to finish the soliloquy because it was just a better spot for it and that is just one of the most beautiful interactions that I think has probably ever happened in GTA. It's just amazing. Let's restore my faith in humanity. That's right. a film in itself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It really yeah. is. Yeah, they, they they made their own film there and then, or they, I guess they made theatre. They made like this other person inadvertently became a set designer and director for this theatre piece of two. I love it. I love it so much. That's, that's what games um, can do. <laughs> that's what games can do. They can become theatre. Like there's yeah, there are so many little things that people are doing like that. Like uh someone in, in the States doing a I think it like a games degree, and so I think that's how I found it. Uh retold and restaged, I think what is it? Um the Seagull checkoff play? Checkoff play, I think. In but in in The Sims, in Sims 2 or something like that. And so it's bizarre. Like it doesn't if you didn't know that's what she was doing you wouldn't be able to tell because the Sims, they just go off and do whatever they want. They do their own things. But through these, like, through the interactions of the Sims, like picking a person up or putting them places or like setting fires and stuff, she recreated the entirety of the seagull. It was amazing. (laughs) That's insane. I also like the idea of the only way you can coerce a Sim is by setting a fire. Right, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, I need you to do something now. Flame. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Like, I, I think the Sims is basically like, the, the evolution of the Tamagotchi. Like, it's it's making a Tamagotchi that's an entire neighbourhood. Because you can't really control them in the same way that you can't control your Tamagotchi. All you can do is, like, help him survive. Help yeah. him survive. And, yeah. And I, I, I had that, yeah. a sim that just kept having kids. And oh, I wow. was a friend, and we had to stop playing the game. I think in the <laughs> end, we ended up <laughs> killing the sim. Because, you know, they can die of embarrassment. Yeah. Yeah. We're like, it's the only way we can do this. It's a really bad proposal gone wrong. Oh, wow. Um, and then death rejected her as well. Yeah. Was, oh, gosh. 
The Sims is one of the one of those games that for some reason I could never get into. I didn't really for some reason I could never click with it. And I think it's like my my kind of thinking back on it now, I think it's just because I I couldn't do what I wanted to do. They had too much autonomy, which sounds <laughs> atrocious. But I yeah, I think I was looking for a particular kind of game where I would embody a character and play out a life, like an Animal Crossing or something like that. And The Sims is just not that. Like it, it's very yeah. much a God looking into a fishbowl kind of thing. Yeah, it's like really, well, it's like dull theatre hmm. over a long wow. period of time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like imagine if you watched Hamlet in real time. That's... Amazing, amazing. Yeah. I want that. This, do, this, do is you? The, this is the problem. I, I find that I do this a lot. Like I'll be talking to someone and we'll joke about basically a bad piece of art. And I'm like, no, that's a great piece of art. Let's make yeah. it right now. But I think that's <laughs> the culture we're in as well. We're in yeah. like, oh, it's like an irony slash camp kind yeah. of world of, sure, yeah, yeah I'll exactly. watch Hamlet in real time. That'll sure, yeah, yeah. Be a great conversation <laughs> starter. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I've got to leave yeah. the dinner table. I'm off to watch. <laughs> I'll be back in a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fully. With word games, how mm. do you find a line with audience participation? Like, what can people expect? Um, poetry games. Sorry, mm. that's poetry right. games. Oh no, I'll ask that again. Ask so it with again, poetry yeah. games, what can people expect for audience participation? Sure. So the I, I want like my 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 goal going in is that everything can be interacted with and everything can be accessible so i've made sure like that 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 going in making sure that anything that has a controller input is intuitive and like as minimal buttons as possible like computer like gaming literacy is something that we don't really consider quite a lot like the idea of having a controller which already has you know like 16 to 20 buttons on it that's harder than driving a car <laughs> so like i, I can't drive i assume I assume yeah i can't hard. drive either <laughs> okay. um so yeah i wanted to make sure that anyone could come in and sit down and immediately have an experience that didn't need a manual or didn't need someone to kind of walk them through it because you know you don't have that in an art gallery you don't have that seeing a piece of static non-interactive art um the kind of range of things in the exhibition uh it kind of goes from uh kind of fully digital so I was, I was actually there earlier today kind of testing out a big projection piece this is a little kind of teaser for anyone who might want to come along um there's a, a piece of work that is kind of fully constructed 3d landscape but every like all the textures so anything that would have kind of looked like something else is a poem and you just walk around and kind of read these things as you walk in this world um so that's on, on one end, going all the way through things like um, reconstructing old or traditional games like Jenga or kind of really going back a game. There's a game called Nine Men's Morris, which is a board game. And these have been kind of reworked by poets to kind of create these dynamic poems that you kind of read as you're playing like Jenga as it's falling apart. And so suddenly there's a poem that has tension like real tension and suspense because at some point this entire poem is going to fall apart um, through to quite traditional, you know, printed books, books, uh, kind of poetry about gaming or poetry about games or uh, kind of very kind of take, adapting things like choose your own adventure novels and using that as a, as a way of playing with poetry. So there's hopefully something for everybody. We've got a uh, 
kind of poetry generators and one that's a, a piece that I absolutely love and I'm so happy I get to kind of share this with people um, by an organization called the Windows Project and they've been doing this piece since the 70s uh, called the Amazing Push Poem Machine where it's it is for all intents and purposes a computer like it's a really really basic kind of machine uh, but you just throw balls into it you just throw balls into these little holes and it generates a letter and then you use that letter to create a word and everyone adds a word to this ever-growing giant poem that we were going to do it we we're going to do it for a weekend but my goal is at some point to do this for like a month and write the like the world's uh longest epic poem with the most writers like <laughs> i just think that'd be really fun that would be um, very fun except maybe, maybe this is still along the lines of like hamlet in real time though <laughs> it is know. it is it's like it's an epic poem in real time yeah exactly god epic hopefully there is something for everyone like I- including people who m- might find it might have some kind of apprehension to interaction like there's a couple of pieces that i just film like of bringing in some kind of really incredible machinima which is film created with game footage so there's a, a an artist called Callum Roger who has created his uh, kind of poetry sequence inspired by Wordsworth uh, and Basho so very much in in the kind of style of kind of landscape and and kind of land writing nature writing uh, but all within GTA 5 so it's this video of him kind of walking up these mountains at night time and the kind of voiceover is the recitation of this poem and because it's talking about kind of digital spaces, it, it, it does something really powerful in terms of bringing you into that space that he or his avatar is is inhabiting, but also making you think about what's happening on the other side of that, both in terms of him playing the game with a controller with kind of just his hands, but then on the other side that someone, however many years ago, developed these polygons that make up that mountain, and they're now telling you about it through this game. and. Yeah, it's a really neat piece of work. That sounds so, that definitely sounds like a something for everyone. And like mm. on the flip side, something for everyone with poetry, because I think mm. a lot of people are used to it is in the prescriptive sense of like, you can, this Keats poem has one answer. And if right. you get it wrong, you fail GCSE English. Exactly, or like, yeah. <laughs> whatever it is. But this is much more like, I don't know, fun. It, yeah, it, yeah. it reminds me of language games, you know, the Wittgenstein concept. No, tell me about this. Oh, well, see, I don't remember enough about it. I thought <laughs> you might know. <laughs> God, <laughs> both showing ourselves up here. This is terrible. yeah. I Wikipedia <laughs> earlier today. I, I did. I did A level on it, and I don't remember except that it exists. But I think right. it's the idea of that every linguistic interaction is a game. Yeah, because it relies on a context and a set of rules, and Absolutely, the exchange yeah. is a game, and it has conditions mm. that determine the meaning. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. I will have to look this up. So I'm, I'm teaching a course on game poetry alongside the exhibition. And actually, that might be very, very useful. Um, that sounds like a very interesting course. Where oh, you, yeah, it's going to be great. Where so do you start with that? Um, well, I, I started by just pitching to the poetry school. Hey, do you like games? <laughs> and they were like, <laughs> oh, tell me more, please. I need more information. Um but yeah, like kind of just was was talking about the exhibition in itself, and in the same way that I want the exhibition to be accessible, I want games and game poetry in itself to be accessible. So both with the exhibition and with this this course, 
just showing people that poetry doesn't have to be stuffy and it doesn't have to be inaccessible and games don't have to be for a certain uh, person or for a certain kind of, they don't have to have a particular cultural impact. Like they can do anything that any other medium can. Similarly with poetry, it can be fun and it can just be a game that doesn't have an outcome. Like doesn't have to, like it doesn't have to have the conclusion or cadence at the end that traditional poetry might. Like you can do, all sorts of weird and wonderful things that you m might not be able to do otherwise. Yeah, that ties in. Together. That ties in with like everything we've been saying. Like it ties in with the idea of the story that mm. like you don't need a game that is a big story in the same way you don't need a poem that is yeah a big cultural statement. It can just exactly. be something yeah. in the moment. Yeah. Mm. Very very <laughs> interesting. We've been talking for so long. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna let you go actually it's only been an hour but it's felt in a good way it's yeah, felt like sure. ages um, <laughs> it's because we've covered like everything from the queen to like oh <laughs> I'm gonna have to edit that down just be, just feels like the queen died and then I'll leave the rest <laughs> just, I'll just keep brilliant. it as is I'll yeah. be like and then that'll be the controversial clickbait yeah. Yeah, the, exactly. Yeah, we're talking about games. So the queen died. The queen died. <laughs> that's a game I could make. <laughs> like edit them together. Oh wow! I'll say that's the game. God, this is gonna um, be like the first podcast that needs footnotes. <laughs> oh my god! It because we keep saying there's this thing. I don't know yeah, what the right. thing is. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna have to get better at that. So <laughs> the last, the last interview I did, I even forgot Jimi Hendrix's name. So I then yeah. had to ask her it about Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. But I was like, you know, the guy who wrote The Watchtower? And right. she was like, uh... And then, so that's, <laughs> that's still in there. But um, I'll finish with... Okay, first of all, favourite games that you would recommend to anyone that like, really got you into it? Okay, favourite games? Uh, my favourite game of all time is called Katamari Damacy. And I recommend this to anybody uh, who has... Who just enjoys joy <laughs> you are a tiny character and you roll a ball around a world and as you roll that ball things stick to the ball and it gets bigger but the bigger the ball gets the bigger the things that stick to it like people like you start off picking up thumbtacks and it's really cute and it has this <laughs> wonderful jazzy soundtrack like it's just joyful and then you end up getting bigger and then you pick up people and then suddenly you've picked up an elephant and now a skyscraper and then you end up picking up all the spoilers you pick up all the islands on like in, in this this archipelago and then you pick up the entire world it's absurd beyond belief but it's literally just the most fun it's so good uh yeah that's yeah. definitely my, my favorite game of all time yeah that sounds good i'll have to check it out yeah um that sounds so insincere that's like uh, <laughs> thanks yeah I'll, uh, check it out i'll, I'll check it out <laughs> yeah i'll see <laughs> yeah whatever cool yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> Okay, so poetry. What is your favourite? What poetry do you go back to a lot? What do I go back to? I, that's a really good way of phrasing it as well. What do I go back to a lot? So, because uh, my favourite, it's weird to say favourite poet, because I think that there are like some poems that are better than others and things, but someone I go back to so often is Anne Carson, who you might know through classics. Uh, I things. know through being recommended. Right. Um, the classics. Well, will, it's I like the ultimate. You, you should yeah. read Anne Carson's translation. I have not yeah. yet. Um, so yeah. Anne Carson has a like uh, so much of her work is steeped in kind of classical literature and kind of historicity um, but she has a, a book called Knox which kind of deals again with kind of classical subject matter but is also about her brother 
and of their their relationship and the whole thing is instead of being a kind of pages book like kind of bound and stapled it's it's one long concertina and it just comes in a box and you just kind of unravel this thing and so you're having this real kind of performative reading of her life and history as it's happening and and to see a kind of someone's retelling of their life and history unravel in front of you is really really powerful um another someone else that i think that if if people are into this kind of thing and they're into into kind of poetry games is someone called ross sutherland who also has a podcast called imaginary advice in which he just makes these very absurd kind of poetic or dramatic scenes but um the, the reason I kind of got into contemporary poetry in the first place was through uh, a publisher called Pend in the Margins that I was working with who publishes Ross's work. And it suddenly, like, this is years and years ago, but it kind of just blew my mind that poetry could be this. Poetry could be something odd and contemporary that, you know, talks about Street Fighter or talks about being, like, having, like, a night job in a toy shop or something like this. And... Yeah, so it it really opened my eyes to what creating something in a kind of traditional format could be and how it can really subvert expectations. That is such a nice place to round up. Oh, well, good. Thank you very much. Um, no, thank you. It's been, a, it's been a joy. It's been a pleasure. Likewise, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Oh, it's glad. definitely been the most relaxed interview oh, I've ever good. done. <laughs> we've covered so much you can you can tell i probably don't do this that often just by the sheer amount of tangents <laughs> oh but that's the best again with the niche stuff yeah that's the, true. That's it's true. the era of niche it's the era of the tangent <laughs> it's, the more information the better i hope you guys enjoyed that as much as i did um there is loads more of that podcast so at some point i will release an extended cut We've got loads of time because Poetry Games is on at the National Poetry Library until January, way after the London Lich Festival has been and gone. So you've got time. You can go once. You can go multiple times. You could technically go every day, but that would be an interesting live choice to make. Uh, you'll find more of Nick's stuff at cassettewitch.itch.io. You can find more from me on this podcast and its magazine parent, which is sanclemente.co.uk. We'll be updating you on other festival stuff. We've got some really fun interviews lined up. So stay tuned. We've also got a bunch of other stuff going on with the London Film Festival. We've got an interview about the Fashioning Masculinities exhibition at the V&A with Marta Franceschini, which I enjoyed so much. The tone is slightly different, but it was so fun. And we have other interviews as well, which are written and incredible and I love doing. Uh, we have one with the BFI with Sangeeta Data, And oh, it's about Satyajit Ray, who is my favourite director now after that interview. I knew very little about him before. It was an incredible conversation. And also with Miranda Seymour on her biography of Jean Reese called I Used to Live Here Once, and I cannot recommend that enough. Especially if you've been watching Blonde, if you've been keeping up with how we're telling women's stories right now, that is a very wonderful interview to reflect on. I go back to it quite a lot at the moment. And that is all from me. So I shall bring you more 
soon and thank you so much for listening um this was just a whole heap of fun